Well, good morning. It is very nice to meet you. And um, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here with you to worship. Uh, that is the sole reason for why we are here. And uh, we have an awesome God to worship. And uh, he is great. He is glorious. He is wonderful. And uh, he loves us. He loves you. And he, he loves that you worship him. And, uh, of course, we just don't do that today. We do that every day of our lives and uh, because he is worthy of our praise, isn't he? So it's an honor and a pleasure to be here uh, for myself and my family. And uh, so right now, why don't we just um, open our Bibles up to the book of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. And uh, if you would, stand with me as we read God's Word together. Today we're going to look at one verse. We're going to look at chapter 3, verse 6. I'm reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. And verse 6 reads... For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are worthy of our praise. We are here for the sole purpose to magnify you through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we are thankful this morning that you put your son forward to be a propitiation for our sins. And that by faith, this wonderful gift of salvation is given us. That we are clothed in the righteousness of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are yours. Father, we pray now that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that you would make us receptive to your word, that we would receive it with gladness, and that this time in the word would be a continuation of our time of worship, and that we would respond appropriately to all that you would have for us for your glory and our joy. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as I thought and prayed about what to say this morning, my mind immediately thought, I'll preach about God. Now, it's funny, my wife says, well, what did you teach on or what did you preach about was it Jesus well it's always Jesus right every single time you open the word of God you want to find some way to get to the Lord Jesus Christ because everything in scripture is about him so to say that we're talking about Jesus is absolutely right but you know the more I thought about it there was a problem that came up when you know obviously I said I want to preach about God well, what exactly am I going to say about God? And when I say 
preach or talk or share with you what the Bible says about God, what I'm talking about is the essential characteristics that make up the being of God, who God is. And so, obviously, we run immediately to the attributes of God. So which attribute are we going to talk about? Well, as I was reading Malachi chapter 3, I knew then that the Lord would have me share with you concerning his immutability, the changelessness of God, how God does not change, just exactly as it says here in verse 6. And you and I both know there are many things that we could talk about in relation to God because there's a lot to talk about, right? There's many wonderful things that we can say about God. He is awesome, He is sovereign, and yet we wouldn't even come close to plumbing the depths of this magnificent God that we serve. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul makes the same point when he talks about the wisdom and the ways of God being far beyond the understanding of human beings when he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 34. And so it is my pleasure to stand before you this Lord's Day morning to speak to you concerning God's changelessness. How God does not change. This God, the God of all creation, does not change. That He is absolutely unchangeable, that He is everlastingly the same. And those who belong to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ, the sons of Jacob, as verse 6 points out, the faithful remnant, if you will, because we are in the line of those like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is the God we serve. And we have the assurance of the stable foundation upon which our souls find comfort. And I think that we would all agree that this would be a wonderful reminder, especially during such uncertain times. Who it is that we actually serve? Who it is that we actually worship? A God that does not change in the midst of the instabilities of this life and world? When everything seems to be out of control? But not so much that God is not still in control, right? But you know, this is not just for, this is not just a message for today, is it? It's a message for every single day of our lives. That we must remind ourselves who God is, who we are, and who He is as Creator. And how everything else in this world is a created thing. We have no power. We have not the ability 
to do anything apart from the grace and power and wisdom of God. He is God, we are not. And so God wants us to be captivated by this truth concerning Himself that we would always be in a state of mind that thinks Godward and not inward. And by doing so, we would rest in the fact that although things are crazy out there, our God is not wringing His hand. Well, I've entitled today's message, The Immutability of God, an Encouraging Word for the Faithful Remnant. Who's the faithful remnant? It is the sons of Jacob. You who are heirs of promise. We who believe in God to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to do this by looking at two points today. Just here in verse 6, number 1, the unchanging nature of God. We want to explore that. We don't want to just say that God does not change. We want to go to His Word and find out why He does not change. <laughs> That's the best place we can go is to the Word of God to find out why and where and how all of these things are the way that they are. And then secondly, the unchanging promise of God. So let me preface this exposition by saying God's immutability is one of his many incommunicable attributes that sets him apart from all created things. So that creation, in actuality, will see this great and glorious God and, and worship him. That everything would be put into submission under creator God. That's why communicable and incommunicable attributes exist so that we might understand better, not fully, but better, this wonderful God, this glorious, awesome, sovereign God. His unchanging character, it sets him apart. It sets him apart from everything else. From everyone. Consider the vastness of the heavens. That's beyond our understanding, isn't it? And yet they are subject to change. Always moving about, following their course. The earth, it's subject to change. People have been changing the face of the earth with bulldozers while also changing the atmosphere with pollution. The earth changes. What about people? Do we really need to go there? We don't change that often, do we? No, we know all too well that we do. We're very inconsistent. Our mind, our moods, lack of dependability, faithfulness. Look at our calendars. That says a lot right there about how often we change. Talk to our family. But God doesn't. But get this, not only does God not change, but He, 
without ever losing himself, gives himself. How amazing is that? That God, without ever losing himself, gives himself, and while absolutely maintaining his changelessness, he enters into an infinite number of relationships. Remarkable. Only God can do this. Listen, his purpose is fixed. His will is stable. His word is sure. But that's not all. His power is unabated. His wisdom undiminished. His holiness unblemished. His love is eternal. His mercy, it never ceases. Why? Because he alone is God. The essential qualities of his being can no more change than deity can cease to be. And do you know what the permanence of his character guarantees? It guarantees the fulfillment of his promises. Do you know what scripture says regarding the promises of God? Now would be a good time to read those and to cling to those. To bank your soul on these things. To take God at his word and to do all that he commands because you've got the guarantee of his being and his changelessness to back you in believing his promises. That's the very foundation of everything that we do. What does the New Testament tell us? All things in Jesus are yes and amen. So what must we do? We must cling to the promise and we must cling to Christ. This is a comforting truth, isn't it? It's a comforting truth to every single person who believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Take comfort in the constancy and stability of God during life's instabilities. It's a wonderful grace gift. What will it help us do? I believe with all of my heart that this grace gift, the dependability of God and his changelessness, it helps every single one of us attempt much for the kingdom of God, even when the world's against us. What does Jesus tell us in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28? He says, all authority has been given unto me. Go therefore. You're going to go in the power and authority of our sovereign Christ and to proclaim his name in the most darkest places of earth. Why? Because Jesus said to go and he is the Lord of all creation and there's not one single thing that's not there's not one single thing that's going to happen to you apart from the knowledge of Christ. You can go with that kind of confidence. There's no such thing as a closed country. It's all the Lord's. You go with the confidence that he said, go. And you're going in his authority. This world is God's world. And we are God's people. And we will obey his commands.
So yes, we will attempt much for the kingdom of God. We will labor against all of the setbacks, the obstacles, the problems, the oppositions and disappointments that we face in life. And as we think about all of these setbacks, these obstacles, these these problems, oppositions, and disappointments, so on and so forth, especially there in this particular season of life where everything, again, is constantly changing, and at times it's changing quite rapidly. We don't even know what to do with ourselves. But we must remember, we must remember that we who are gods through Jesus are clothed in the righteousness of a never-changing Savior. You know that this, the people of this world are still redeemable? You realize that? All the things that you hear on the radio and see on the television, as crazy as it looks and sounds, that person is redeemable. It's called the power of the gospel. Listen to what Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and when? Forever. Amen and absolutely. That's our Savior. It is this glorious Savior that picked us up, turned us around, and set our feet on solid ground and said, I will be with you to the end of the world. So we have much to be thankful for. I'm like Dennis. I'm thankful to be here this morning. Thankful that I don't have COVID. Thankful for a lot of things. But I'm glad to be here to worship God with you. That I am His. That He is mine. I'm really believing God wants to do a wonderful work in our lives during this day and time. As crazy as it looks, it does not mean that the end is near, even though it has been for a long time, because nobody knows the day and hour, right? There's been bad times before in our nation's history, in our world's history. Who's to say it's not just going to get worse? I don't know the future. Neither do you. Only God knows. But this much we do know. He's in control. And he wants us to trust him. For such a time as this, that God would empower us, that he would raise godly men and women to be his ambassadors and to speak on behalf of his name the only thing that's going to bring about true change in this world. It's interesting, we're told in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, where our mind is to be. The Apostle Paul writes and says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
Some of us are spending far too much time listening to the radio and watching the television. You know what some of these commentators are saying forwards and backwards before they even say it. But what's the word of God say? Hey, and I'm right there with you. A friend of mine used to say, when I point the finger at you, I've got one pointing right back at me. None of us here have, has arrived, right? But are we to rally together, build each other up in the ways of the world or the most holy faith? Lovingly coming alongside one another and say, how's your prayer time during all of this? And should it really take all of this to make God's people pray? Sad to say that some people are only going to the scriptures because they want to know all about this thing called prophecy. Is this a sign of the times? Is this how the world's going to end? How about just going to the word of God so that you can know God? To better Worship him as one of his children. When Paul says, think about these things, and what he also says in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 4, he says, practice these things. So that means when I think about these things, and I'm gaining knowledge, and really all of these things are pointing to God because he's the perfect fulfillment of every single one of those qualities listed in verse 8, now practice. What am I to practice? Everything that Paul says that we saw him do. And every single thing, every single quality here listed in verse 8 that points us towards Godward service. And so he's exhorting believers to fill their minds with the things of God that we might even serve people in his name. And Godward service, it is the fruit, it is the direct result of Godward thinking. If you're doing Godward service without Godward thinking, you're doing it so that people will see you and get your back patted. But if you're having Godward thinking and you do Godward service, you're doing it to glorify your Heavenly Father and that you might be a blessing to somebody else. And as a matter of fact, it's going to get to the place where you don't even want people to see anything that you do because you're doing it unto the Lord. This is what Paul is getting to here in Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Man, we had not even got to the first point yet. I better get rolling, right? I'm having too much fun with y'all. And it's been a while since I've preached. <laughs> you never want to get a guy who hasn't been in the pulpit in a while because he's going to be there all day. Uh, y'all are patient and kind. What's going on with Israel here? A couple things. Number one, they're not exactly where they need to be in their relationship with God. They're out of character, right? Lack of devotion 
It resulted in ethical compromising, diluting the demand of proper worship, as well as joyless service to God. There was no excitement in worshiping God because we were doing it for all the right reasons. What does this equal? It means dead orthodoxy. But God didn't destroy them. We see here in verse 6 that God is preserving them. Did they deserve destruction? Yeah, absolutely. Every single one of us do because of sin. God is holy and he's just. Any sin, just a little bit, it's bad. It's enough to separate us from God for all eternity, but because of his love toward us in Jesus. Aren't you glad about that? And though we are like Israel in so many ways, that we disobey the commands of God, we rebel against God at times, we don't always obey the voice of God, when we know good and well He's speaking directly to our hearts, and He is in His Word, but there are times where you know that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something, and you disobey when you know it's of the Lord. And so we fall short, living our lives as an act of worship, as the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Yet God still calls us as His people to return to Him. Oh, how God is so full of mercy. The forbearance of God, the, the long-suffering of God, how is this possible? It's made possible because God is unchanging. He made a covenant. He made a promise. And He's going to stick to that promise. There are standards here. And what we want to do is we want to dumb down those standards and look at everybody else dumbing down the standards and that way we feel like we're all on even playing field or whatever you call that and, and feel good about ourselves. But what do we do when none of us are living according to God's standard? It's interesting. My wife and I, we went walking this morning with our dog. We met one of our neighbors. We hadn't lived there long. And uh, he made a comment. He said, I try to hold everyone up to my standard, but it just doesn't work. Real interesting guy. You know, I don't know if he realizes it or not, and we didn't have long to talk about it, but he's on to something, isn't he? When we hold each other to our own standards, it's not going to work, is it? Very imperfect standard. Look at God's standards. None of us can meet those. Only in Jesus can we even come close, right? Allow me just a few minutes. I'm going to run through these two points. Just so that you leave here today encouraged. First point, the unchanging nature of God. We've been talking about how God does not change. And that is true, and that is awesome, that is wonderful. The Bible tells us here in verse 6, these words, For I, the Lord, do not change. And I think the first thing that we need to look at here in verse 6 is the name Lord. What's the significance of this word? It's the covenant name of God. It is... Jehovah. What does this name imply? It implies his unchanging faithfulness to fulfilling his promises. 
God is swearing by his name that he is who he is. And so the name Lord, it signifies something about God's nature and what kind of God he actually is. And so whenever God saved you, you became part of the body of Christ whose father is perfectly faithful to fulfilling what he has said in his word. And to know that no alterations of time, no earthly changes affects his faithfulness to his people. And more than this, and this makes me really glad, to know that any change in me, any unfaithfulness on my part does not change the slightest, does not change God slightly at all. Once a father, always a father. Now his providences may change. The way in which he works out his perfect, wise will in our lives, we may see that as, as change, but his heart does not change. He does not change in his being. I don't know about you, but this truth stirs my heart. It's a sense of gratitude for what God has done. And he did not even have to do it. Gratitude for the unending mercies of God that are new every single morning. That what he promised the patriarchs of old is still for us today. And it's still as potent today as it was then. Why? Because God does not change. That his eternal plan is being worked out according to his perfect wisdom. That what he has begun in us will be brought to the completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in his perfect wisdom and sovereignty, he is somehow working everything together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so as believers, we're in the world, but we are not of the world. We, we rejoice because of our position in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also groan to our present imperfections. Heaven has begun in our hearts, but hell has not yet entirely lost its influence. And though heaven is in our hearts, we've got our nose in the book, we are still going to face many dangerous enemies whose sole purpose it is to rob you of the joy of the Lord. I wonder how many people have become even more depressed during all this COVID-19 business and rioting and looting and all the rest, joblessness. And That'd be an interesting study, wouldn't it? I wonder how many believers feel as though they've lacked joy. Obviously, there is joy that is going to be lacking. We are human beings. We are not perfect. We are lacking. 
And that's why David says, renew me to the joy of your salvation. That's why he prays and asks God to do that in him. Because he knows the pressures and influences of this world are too much for him. So we need only what we need what only God can give. And I know it seems as if the Lord is not moving fast enough. But, but let me remind you of something. The slowness of God's ways, as, as we perceive it, is in all actuality part of the perfect, wise, eternal plan of God. None of us can explain that. Only God can. It is the fruit of His perfect wisdom. The Bible says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And when it seems as if God appears to be moving too slow, we must remember not to take matters into our own hands, but labor for God and hope constantly in Him. What hope are we looking to? Are we looking to the promises of God? The promise of God that says that we ought not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians chapter 6. And the fact that he uses the name Lord in connection with what he says in the first part of verse 6. I, or or the, what else he says in verse 6. I do not change. It brings even greater consolation to the faithful. So real quick, let's look at our second point. Any student of the Word of God knows that when they see the word therefore, one of the questions they need to ask is, what is the word therefore there for, right? I know y'all have heard that before, but we want to pay attention to that word, right? And so we take what is previously said, and sometimes it's even chapters, and we let the Word of God give us insight into what is being said here. So if we take the words, for I, the Lord, do not change, and connect them to what is further stated. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. What we have is God saying this, I am faithful. I am the faithful covenant-keeping Lord who does not change. And though you, O children of Jacob, you heirs of promise, have not always obeyed my voice and even acknowledged my forbearance, I will, according to my covenant of promise, which I swore to your fathers, and even by my own name, I will preserve you. But there's an if here, isn't there? If you return to me. So this much is clear. God does not change, and yet, here's the irony. Israel hasn't either. As a matter of fact, if you read the book of Malachi, you see them actually blaming God for all the things that are going on. The audacity. God's abandoned us. God's not abandoned you. If he only saved you and then turned his back on you, that would be enough for me to know that 
I am his and that I am at least going to heaven. All these other things are just extra blessings, I feel. So anything good he does in my life is pretty remarkable. It's pretty amazing. See here, if you go on reading, you see in verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. So what is God to do? Just make a covenant and say, all right, all right. I made a covenant with you guys, and you can just keep on doing whatever you want to do. It really doesn't matter. You really don't have to follow what I told you to do. And so, you know, have a good life. No. There's a reason why God says what he says. Is God giving them an opportunity to acknowledge his forbearance? And, and maybe stop doing the things that they're doing and get right with God. Remember the book of Judges. Here we have all these people doing what was right in their own eyes and it's not pleasing to the Lord. It's not acceptable, is it? Here's the good news. It's all good news because if you will remember, God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. That is good news, right? We never want to forget that. But here it is. Just like in the book of Haggai, the Lord's work through Malachi receives a positive response. There's some good that actually comes in all this. Who is it that responds? It's the remnant. It is the treasured possession, according to verse 17. Those, as Isaiah chapter 49, verse 16 says, are engraved upon the hands of our Lord. Those, as it says in verse 16, who fear the Lord. Those whose names were written in God's book, the book of remembrance, the book of life, verse 16. Now you might be wondering, and we're going to close out here, now you might be wondering, what does Israel's disobedience and eventual restoration have to do with God's unchanging character and promises and me right here, right now in Etowah, Tennessee? This is just me. I think it has everything to do with it. I think it has everything to do with what God is doing in the lives of ever-changing imperfect people in this ever-changing imperfect world he is bringing the faithful remnant through the refining fire of afflictions so that we would trust his promises in order to bring us into unending joy he wants you to have his joy because when you are happy and joyful in God, God is then in you being glorified and that glory is being seen throughout the whole earth. And it's given testimony to God's greatness. So you deciding, I don't want the joy of the Lord, I'm being stubborn. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and His joy in me proclaiming the glory of the joy of the salvation that He sent His Son to accomplish in your life. So as a matter of fact, it really has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God. We are just the mediums, if you will, to making God look really good in us. Isn't that amazing? That God would use us that way. 
You might be thinking, okay, so how, how's the refining fire of God in my life? How's that good news? Who wants to go through the furnace of affliction, really? How, how is this good? It's good news because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to see God? Ask God to do His refining, gracious work in your life. In order to see God, we must have a pure heart. And all pure hearts must have been through the refining fire of God where all the imperfections are burned up. Done away with. They're consumed. And where this doesn't happen, God says here in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, that the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. These are not the pure in heart. But the faithful remnant is. Chapter 4, verse 2. The calf doesn't leap there because he's tempted to be passive or forgetful or worried or anxious. That calf is leaping out of the stall because of the refining, purifying work of grace that God does in order to bring an all-satisfying joy to the heart of a believer who's treasuring Jesus and seeing him as their worth. So God is sovereignly, strategically, graciously, lovingly seeking to work in your life in a way that you've never experienced. We live in a new time, in a new age, new seasons with new trials. to just go back to what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4a. You, in the midst of all this, here's what I want you to think on. I want you to think on things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Why? Because every single one of these qualities are found in God and in God alone, perfectly. Fix your minds on these things. Let God do His perfect work, His wise work in your life for His glory and your joy. Will you do that today? We're human beings. God is God some reason I think there's room for each of us to grow no matter the age because we've not yet arrived, right? Here's what COVID-19 has taught me. Here's what rioting and looting has taught me. Here's what sin in the world has taught me. Here's what unfaithfulness has taught me. I need to love God more than self. That's it. 
Because when I'm loving God, I'm seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your infallible, inerrant, authoritative word. And thank you for Jesus Christ who has delivered us and has sealed us in the Holy Spirit that we might read your word. That it would be illumined to our minds and our hearts and our souls that we might receive and understand and be changed by your word. Lord, today I believe with all my heart that you desire for your people to put everything that is not Godward aside and pursue you with all of our heart. And God, we don't do that perfectly. You know us all too well. We are your creatures. You made us. You know every thought, every act, every word. And it's not good. But you've promised us that if we will confess with our mouth that you are just and you will forgive us of our sins. Lord, we have sinned. But we want to repent of that and we want to pursue you And we want to love you and have you look good in our lives. Thank you for the hope and for your promises. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.